0: As is the case in many of uh, Jesus' parables, he uses uh, the literary device of hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point. Um, in the, the Greek original, we translate in the lectionary today just a huge amount and a, small, a much smaller amount. But um, what Jesus says is that the, the servant, the first servant who owes the king, what he owes them him is 10,000 talents, To a talent already is a huge sum of money. Um, if you remember the parable when he talks about the one who receives five talents and three talents and one talent. And they, uh, you know, one of them buries his talent in the, in the ground instead of investing that talent. The, a talent was no small amount of money. So 10,000 talents um, roughly calculates to, so if you made like a denarius a day, which was the typical salary of that time. Um, to get to 10,000 talents, you would have to work uh, every day for 2,739 years um, and not spend your money on anything else except paying back this debt. So it's exaggeration. It's, it's an impossible debt to ever pay back. Um, whereas the fellow servant who owes this, this one who's forgiven this gigantic debt, uh, what he owes his fellow servant is 100 denarii, which is 100 days salary, roughly a little over three months, like less than a car. So you could, you could see him actually being able to pay that back. So what Jesus is saying, obviously the king is God. Um, the king is, is holding court. He's demanding what he's owed of this servant who owes him this debt he could never possibly repay in his entire life. Um, and the servant, and he says, I'm going to sell you into slavery and, and your family and all, and all this stuff. It's this demanding, scary scene. And then the servant falls down prostrate. And asks him for forgiveness, asks him for patience, and he says, "I'll pay it back. I promise." And of course, the king, knowing there's no way you could ever afford to pay me back, just immediately forgives the entire debt. Um, It's it's a a weird scene. What Jesus is saying about God's justice and His mercy um, takes some time to kind of contemplate and understand. In the Catholic tradition, we have the idea of eternal punishment for sin. And temporal punishment for sin. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that distinction before. But the idea being that because of our sins, we merit damnation. Like we have separated ourselves by our own free will. God didn't do it for us. It's just a consequence of separating ourselves from the eternal love of God is to eternally die, to be eternally damned, separated from God from all eternity. The angels, for instance, they don't live in time. So they make that decision one time. The fallen angels go to hell. Of angels that decide to serve and praise and love God for all eternity live in heaven. We kind of, like, sometimes we feel like following God and loving him above all else, and some days we don't want to do that. So every concrete act, if we turn away from God, needs to be repented of. Like, we have to, to turn away from that, that sin and ask for forgiveness and be reconciled to God. You know, if it's a serious sin, like a mortal sin, it needs to be confessed to a priest, an absolution, the sacrament of penance needs to be received in order to restore us to the state of grace. Meaning that if we're in the state of grace and we die, we're going to heaven eventually. I mean, we might have to pass through purgatory, but the eternal punishment for sin has been wiped out. God has forgiven that. So eternal punishment for sin, eternal redemption, is it's a question of salvation or damnation. Whereas in the tradition we talk about the temporal punishment for sin being all of the effects that my sin had that I don't even realize, right? That there are certain effects in time, not just my eternal soul, but like the people I've hurt, the disorder I've caused, the chaos I've caused in the world because of my own fault. I somehow, in order for the kingdom of God to really come about, I need to take responsibility for that and somehow make reparation. That's the, the whole idea of getting a penance when you go to confession is to some way make some reparation through prayer or some charitable act to make right what we've made wrong. But the question I've always had is, how can I ever repay? It's like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. If you've ever done wrong, you know that you might say you're sorry, you might be able to pay back what you owe, but there's something about our sin that we could never, even on the temporal plane, ever really pay back. Um, And yet we we need to acknowledge it. I think that's what purgatory is about is, is taking responsibility, acknowledging where I have wounded Christ to recognize even more deeply how much that mercy is free. That he doesn't hold me finally responsible for every little thing I've done, everything I possibly own because I could never pay it back. Remember this story a priest uh, once told me, a priest friend of mine, of how he imagines purgatory. He says he was on a he was on a vacation one time. He went on a, a trip up to a lake house with um, a school friend of his and their family. He got to be friends with this girl in middle school, and then later in high school, the family was like, "Oh, we like him. He should come up to the to the house and um, go water skiing." So he's water skiing, and like the dad is driving the boat, and his friend, uh, his female friend, is is in the boat while he's back there water skiing, uh, and. In the middle of this, the girl just kind of shouts back to him over the roar of the engine of the boat and the wave and the wake and everything. She just goes, hey, do you remember in middle school when you, when you um, said that I was fat? And there he is, like, just trailing this boat with his water skis. And, like, totally, he can't do anything about it. He can't answer it. He's just stuck in his shame. Because he realizes that he did do that, but he, he like, hadn't even remembered it. It was some careless word that you say in middle school just to, like, hurt somebody for no reason, like kids do to, to each other. And she wasn't, like, doing it to get back at him. It just had occurred to her as, he was, as she was looking at him, like, you once called me fat. And if you imagine just, like, having to look at all of that, every way that you've hurt everyone in your life. And never mind the, the ways that you know you've done that. What about the things that are invisible to me? Because of my ignorance or because of my selfishness, my obliviousness, thoughtlessness. like We have to somehow take responsibility for that. that. That sounds scary to me. If that's what purgatory is, is God just being like, I'm not holding you accountable for that. I forgive you for this. I forgive you for that. And just to have to watch it. But it's not about just feeling guilty. That's never what God is about. What God's mercy and his love is not about just us feeling bad. It's always to recognize how deep is the gift of God's mercy. Because if we were held responsible for everything we've ever done, and never mind even just our sins, I owe God everything simply because I exist. I did nothing to merit my own existence, but I owe him a debt I could never repay. It would be like trying to pay a debt of 2789 years' salary in a 70- or 80-year life. It's a metaphysical impossibility. So what's the problem with the servant? The hyperbole goes on because after he's forgiven this massive debt, simply because he asks for forgiveness, he goes and immediately to somebody who owes him a small little amount. And Jesus says he begins to choke him. Like Jesus, I mean, he uses uh, inflammatory language sometimes in the parables, but this is one of those ones, this guy starts to choke this guy, like he's shaking him down like a mobster. Pay back what you owe. What is, what is wrong with this guy? It, it disturbs all his fellow servants. and They go to the master and tattle on him, and the master's mad. Right? What, what is wrong with him? He doesn't understand what he's been given. He doesn't appreciate the mercy of God, what we've all been given. This is the case for going to confession, right? to take responsibility, to, to say out loud, what I've done to harm my relationship with God, to harm the people in my life, to receive a guaranteed word of mercy, that God does not finally want to hang every little sin over your head to make you feel bad, that we can be free of these things. But the master, the the servant has to fall down prostrate, has to ask for forgiveness, has to be shot through with this divine mercy and that should be the cure for human pettiness that's what jesus is saying is that if you really appreciate what you've been given then you'd look out at your neighbor and you wouldn't hold them accountable for every little thing they did jesus says elsewhere this this rule of like spiritual physics the measure with which you measure out will be measured back to you in a certain way he's trying to motivate us to be not, to be to be kind and compassionate and understanding to our neighbor through fear would you want to be held accountable by God in the same measure that you hold the people in your life accountable for every little peccadillo, every little fault? Or do you want to live in the kingdom of mercy? Do you want to, as the, the prophet says, hug your anger and resentment tight like a precious possession? Or do you want to be open and free with your arms out like Jesus on the cross, embracing even the people who insult and hurt and reject you? This is the cure. For human pettiness, the cure for human cruelty, is to be shot through with divine love. I'll finish with this beautiful quote of, um, of St. Bernard. In response to God's love, he says, how can we hold anything back if we understand how much we've been loved just to exist, never mind to be forgiven for the ways we've been ungrateful for that? What he says is this, rightly then does the creature give up all other feelings and give herself wholly to love alone. In giving love back, all she can do is respond to love. And when she has poured out her whole being in love, what is that in comparison with the unceasing torrent of that original source? Clearly, lover and love, soul and word, bride and bridegroom, creature and creator do not flow with the same volume. One might as well equate a thirsty man with a fountain. It is true that the creature loves less because she is less. But if she loves with her whole being, Nothing is lacking where everything is given.